Hey, this is Jared Wellman. I'm the lead pastor at Tate Springs, and this is our podcast. God is telling a story of hope and redemption. Hope and redemption. Redemption that can only be found through Jesus Christ. I hope that this is a blessing and inspires you to discover your part in God's story. Go ahead and take your copy of God's Word with me and turn to the book of Romans. Uh, We are skipping chapter 2, not permanently, just for today because of the way that Paul is fleshing out his argument and the way that we're handling the series. Uh, We wanted to keep the two uh, notations of brokenness together. And so last week we talked about the brokenness of creation, fallen creation, and today we are going to talk about the fallenness of people. So we touched on that last week. And we even kind of emphasize a little bit of uh, part of the result of fallen creation in people. But really, we want to we go a little bit deeper and talk about uh, original sin and focus on that a little bit more today. So uh, it's, it's fall, um, and uh, the weather is changing. Praise God for that. Uh, I'm so excited about the fall. I'm already turning on my fireplace in the morning. I know it's a little soon for that, but I, uh, I get super excited about the fall. Uh, and for some of us, uh, the fall means the state fair. Any people, uh, anyone here who loved the state fair, met like one person maybe? Um, I'm not that big of a big uh, a state fair fan, but some people love the state fair. They live for it. And I've already seen pictures of some of you who have already gone on, on, on Facebook. But when you go, uh, in between the Ferris wheels and the, um, the ring tosses and the fried butter and all those kinds of things, uh, there is uh, sometimes, and I think I've seen this at the fair before, and you'll know what I'm talking about, um, is this, uh, this booth you can go in with funny mirrors. And, uh, and if you've ever gone in one of those things, you stand there and, and it's kind of a maze of mirrors. And all you do is you just see all these, these mirrors and they make you, uh, they warp reality around you. And so some of the mirrors make you look 10 feet tall. Some of them make you look two feet short. Uh, some of them stretch you out. Some of them give you a big head uh, and all these different kinds of things. And uh, I was thinking about that this past week because you can't help but laugh at some of these kind of bizarre reflections uh, knowing that they are not accurate descriptions of yourself, right? Or hopefully the big head is not an accurate description of yourself. And these carnival mirrors, while they are entertaining, they really do distort the true image of yourself. And so they bend and they stretch and they manipulate reality and they make it really impossible for you to see yourself the way you really are. Could you imagine if all you ever saw was a reflection of yourself in one of those mirrors, you would have a false reality of yourself. Now, much like these mirrors, there are things in our lives that tend to distort our spiritual self-image. Things that we look to the wrong things that we look to are looking at the right things in the wrong way that begin to distort our reality of ourselves. And so sometimes society and culture and our own misconceptions can reflect a skewed vision of our spiritual state. And so we may see ourselves through a lens of self-righteousness or perhaps we feel squashed by the feelings of unworthiness. And the true mirror that we need to be looking to is not something in culture, but the Word of God itself. And when we look at the word, what the Word of God says, what God has said about creation, what God has said about you, what God has said about me, it gives us a mirror that we can look at to give us a genuine reflection. Now, the law, the Word of God tells us, is a lot like a mirror. And as it's described in the Bible, it does not warp and it does not distort, and it shows us who we truly are, blemishes and all. So today, today what we're going to do is we're going to look into the clarity 
of God's mirror, and we want to understand how it gives us a reflection and how we are supposed to respond to that reflection. So here's today's sermon in a sentence. Through faith, we discover that the purpose of good works or God's law as we follow it is the need for God's grace. So through faith, we discover that the purpose of good works is the need for God's grace. So primarily, we're going to look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. And I want to read that in just a second. But we are also going to look at what's happening first in Romans chapter 3, a little bit after that, uh, the ver- verse 26, and then also in, in chapter 5. We're going to pull all that together, but the primary passage we're looking at starts in verse 21. So look at that with me. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So the question before us today is this. If the law, if the law cannot save us, which is what this passage says, if the law cannot save us, and if works cannot save us, if at the end of time we stand before the Lord and we have all of our works, and let's just say uh, that we had 99% good works and 1% bad works, and if that doesn't lead us into eternal life with God, then why is the law even here to begin with? Why are we even here? What, what is all of this about? Shouldn't we want to look at the Ten Commandments and, and follow those perfectly? How does all this come together? Well, this is what Paul's talking about today. So the first point that he gives us in this passage is this, that the law acts as a reflective lens, as a mirror exposing our true nature to us. The law acts as a reflective lens and it exposes our true nature to us. Look with me at verse 21 where he talks about the law, apart from the law. Now the context of this is he is talking about life apart from the law. But if we want to understand what life is like apart from the law, we have to first understand what life is like inside the law, connected to the law. And so look with me at verses 19 and 20, the run, the run up to verse 21. He says, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, which by the way, spoiler alert, is everyone. There's not a single person who is outside the law. So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So he says there in verse 19, we know that whatever the law says, what does the law say? What does the law say? He's referring, Paul there, is referring to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And and so in the first five books of the Bible, the law of God, you have things like the Ten Commandments and you have all of these different kind of uh, laws and commandments and statutes and ordinances. You have all of these different kinds of things. And some have even sat down to count all of the laws that you find there And they have come to the conclusion that there are 613 different laws that we have to follow. 613. Now, I would guarantee you that there's not a single person in this room or streaming with us online that could just name every one of those 
And if we can't name them, if we don't know what they all are by heart, then of course we're not following them perfectly. And these are laws that are positive and negative. So there are positive ones which are like, hey, you know, honor the Sabbath by keeping it holy and uh, love your neighbor. Those are positive laws. And then there are negative versions, which is don't commit idolatry. Don't create these, these statues that you didn't then bow down to. Don't Uh, don't commit murder. These are negative versions of these laws. And the idea that Paul's giving us is that we are all under the law and that the, the, the design of the law is that we all need to follow it perfectly. But there's a problem. When you get to verse 20, it says there at the very end of verse 20 that through the law doesn't come the knowledge that we have followed it perfectly, nor through the law does the knowledge come that we can follow it perfectly. Through the law instead comes the knowledge of something called sin. And so the law is there, 613 laws, however we want to count them. And the reality is that when we look at the law, it points back to us and tells us that we are sinners. And so I brought this with me. Um, by the way, basketball season's 10 days away, just so you know. So I figured I would, I would have this beautiful New York Knicks blanket with me today, just for no reason at all but to show it off. And, and so I brought with me a, uh, a mirror. And, um, and when you look at a mirror, uh, what, you, what you look at and what you observe is that it's different than a photograph. So when I pulled the, the blanket off, we're not looking at Van Gogh's Starry Night. We're not looking at Rembrandt's Storm in the Sea. We're not even looking at a, a photograph. We're looking at a reflection. In fact, I can see the reflection of the light on the back wall here. And so when you, some of you can look in this mirror depending on the angle and you see a reflection of yourself. And so it is a reflection of everything that's happening on the other, other side of it. But what you also see when you look in a mirror is not only a reflection, but an unbiased reflection. There are no Instagram filters on this mirror. Now, I'm sure they're gonna make smart mirrors where you can put Instagram filters on there and lie to yourself about, about whatever you wanna put on there. But when you look at a mirror, there are no TikTok filters that remove the wrinkles or the pimples. It's unbiased. And so you look at the mirror and it tells you, gives you a picture of reality. But there's also the, the idea that a mirror, when it's giving us this picture, it's instantaneous. I'm not looking at the mirror and then waiting two minutes for it to download. It's something that's immediate. It's something that's instantaneous. And so you put all this together, and what Paul's telling us here is that the law acts like this. When you look at the Ten Commandments and you look at all of the, the, the commandments from the Word of God, all the things that God expects of us, it's, it's like looking in a mirror that reflects your life back to you. And it gives you a reflection that is unbiased and also immediate. When God says things in his word, you immediately realize whether or not you've done those things or not. And it puts us in this state of condemnation. And so Paul is, is addressing a significant shift here because what he's trying to help us to understand is that when you look at a reflection of yourself through the word of God and, and by the law of God, a lot of times what happens is we look at that and we want to use the law to justify ourselves as something that's holy and wonderful for God that he will look down upon us and think, well, 
wow, Jared is just so amazing. Of course I'm going to let him into heaven. Look how amazing he is at following my law. But in reality, what happens is we look and we see a reflection that ought to put us in a state to realize that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags before a holy God. That's what the law is designed to do. And so when you get here to verse 21, when he talks about, but apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. What he's talking about here, when he uses the phrase, the righteousness of God, which we're going to look at in just a minute, a little bit deeper, it refers to the right standing of the right relationships that humans can achieve. And so in Jewish tradition, many believe that this righteousness could be achieved through a strict adherence to the law. If I, if I can memorize these 613 laws and these commands and I follow them perfectly, then I can, then I can uh, attain the righteousness of God. That was what a traditional old school mindset was about this. But what Paul's telling us here is he's given us this radical idea to this church in Rome, which is this, that the righteousness of God is not revealed in the law, but apart from the law. He's telling us that you cannot find yourself as the reflection of your life cannot be found perfectly righteous by the law itself. This doesn't mean that the law is irrelevant, nor does it mean it's useless. Instead, Paul suggests that the law's primary purpose was to show that humanity is deep in sin and that we by ourselves cannot find the ability to find righteousness and to seek righteousness. So Paul wants to press this point a little bit further because what happens is people will say, well, we'll look at that reality as a challenge. They won't say, well, yeah, I'm going to listen to Paul. Instead, what we tend to do is we say, well, watch. I'm going, to try my, I'm going to try to show you with my life how I can live in a righteous way by my own ability. And I've shared the story before about how when we've gone around and we've talked with people in the community about salvation and Jesus and, and how a lot of times the response that we get about how someone can gain eternal life is, is by their own works, by the works of their own hands. And so the second point Paul gives us here is that the power of sin is a universal reality for all of humanity. It's a universal reality for all of humanity. And so there are some in, in history, groups that have congregated together and said, no, we can find our righteousness by following the law perfectly. In the New Testament, the group was known as the Pharisees. And the word Pharisees comes from a word which means separated ones. And so what they would do is they would, they would sit around and talk about how well they have been following the law and they would compare with one another and contrast with one another. And then they would take the 613 commands that they, had, uh, that they had written out, and then they would add some laws to that. And so uh, in, uh, in Pharisaic tradition, for example, they would take a law like honoring the Sabbath. And, uh, and then they would say, well, how are, we going to, uh, how are we going to walk from our private residence to a public place? Because isn't that work? Isn't it work? Is that work? And so they would say, well, we have to define what work is. And so let's give parameters to work. And then some would say, well, what if I'm carrying a notebook with me? Is that work? And so they said, well, I have to carry my keys. I have to go and unlock this door on the Sabbath. Is that work? And so they, they actually created, for one example of the many, they created laws to go along with the laws that they would have to follow. And if you broke that law, then you were no longer living righteously. And so, um, you know, as a, as a kid, sometimes if you shared a room, you would, uh, you would get into that little spat where you would say, you stay on your side of the room and I'll stay on my side of the room. And you'd draw a line somehow. Um, well, 
Think of it this way. In some Pharisaic traditions, there would be these lines that they would, that they would create from their house to the place that they were walking publicly. So, and they would carry their keys and they would say, well, I'm carrying my keys, that's work. And, and I wanna make sure that I'm not breaking the Sabbath. So uh, I'm gonna extend my private residence out onto the sidewalk towards this public place. And, uh, and as long as I stay within these lines that I've drawn, then I'm not working because I'm still in my private residence. It's like taking your bedroom and creating a fort outside of it to just say, my bedroom now goes and extends. I'm going to have more real estate in my bedroom. And so they've created laws to go with laws to go with laws all uh, so that they can bend the law to themselves to always prove how righteous they are and how well they have followed the law. But when you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 20, again, it says, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Why? Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. And so as much as we try, as much as we want to, we can never be justified by our works alone. The law shows us, that our pro- it shows us our problem, but it cannot provide a cure. It only shows us that we need one. It's a mirror reflecting, not a picture that's telling. And this is why in verse 23, he gives us this really well-known verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I just I want you to, to look with me starting in verse 9, because I want to I want to press the point the way Paul does for just a minute. He says, What then in verse 9? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. That's a, a, another way of saying. Everyone is under sin, what he summarizes in verse 23. Now he's going to quote some Old Testament verses. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. So it's not only that none are righteous, it's that none even seek for God. Together, they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, last week we introduced the concept of the uh, original sin. And original sin means this. This is very important theologically. It means that sin isn't merely something that you do, But we sin, we do sin because we are sinners. And so at the moment of conception, you are already tackled by sin. It's not that you are born and then you become two and then you make it really hard on on your parents with potty training and then you're a sinner. It's that you're just a sinner at the moment of conception. That's how deeply embedded original sin is with us. And so let's turn back to the mirror for just a minute. Because when we look to the mirror, it reveals our imperfections, but it also does something else. So when I stand in front of the mirror and I look, I see my my features and I see features from my mother and my father. And I'll never forget when I was in second grade and I I still remember it, it is burned in my mind. I was in line, we were waiting to go back into our classroom and this kid just turns around I still have the picture of his, of his face in my mind. And he says, why are your ears so big? And I had never thought that I had big ears before. And then now, then I realize I have big ears, you know? 
And let's just imagine for a moment that my ears are not davishingly handsome. And let's just imagine that they're big and obnoxious. Okay, let's just pretend. I know it's going to stretch you this morning. But do we have that picture uh, on the screen? This is my great-grandfather, Fritz. All right. (laughs) I found this on, at least this is what Ancestry.com tells me, right? This is my father's, uh, this is my great-grandfather, so on my, my father's mother's side. And, uh, and so I was scrolling through one day and I said, wow, I do have big ears and now I know where they came from. The point is when I look in the mirror, I see Fritz's ears on me, all right? It, is, it has been passed down from my great-grandfather down to me. And guess what? He probably has a great-grandfather who looks like that too. And so what Paul's saying here is that the law, when when you look at it, it's not merely a reflection. We're not just saying, oh, it's just a reflection. It shows your wrinkles or your blemishes. And when we apply that that to the the spiritual state of our soul, what we're also saying is that it's not just what we're doing. Well, I was angry today. And according to what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, I was angry and therefore it's uh, akin to murder. Okay? It's not just saying what I've done. What Paul's saying is this, that the, the law is not only telling you what you've done, it's also telling you who you are. And that we are sinners. That original sin is passed down to us spiritually as much as my ears have been passed down to me physically, sin has been passed down to me spiritually. This is what original sin means. And listen, I cannot stress enough how key of a theological principle that is to understanding the world. Because the moment that you remove that from the equation, things begin to unravel pretty quickly. So this may seem harsh to talk about sin this way, but what Paul's doing is he's actually leveling the playing field in a pretty radical way because he's telling us that everyone is enslaved to sin. There are not people living in the world who are some kind of higher spiritual class who are not enslaved to sin. A pastor does not live in a higher class who's not enslaved to sin. The Pope does not live in a higher class that is not enslaved to sin. We are all sinners. Everyone is a sinner. And this is a helpful thing that Paul gives us as he turns to the third and final point in our passage, which is this, that through grace, God generously bestows his unearned favor upon each and every sinner. So Paul says in verses 24 through 26, being justified as a gift. So as he's fleshing out the idea of justification, he tells us that justification is a gift by God's grace. That's what he says there in verse 24, a gift by God's grace. So look with me for just a minute at the word grace there. The word grace means unmerited favor, an unmerited thing that God has given us, God's benevolence. And grace is a really amazing thing in scripture. It doesn't really compute in, in, in our context and in, in the way that we think about things. So when Jesus shows grace in the scriptures, it's where he gives more attention to the one sheep than he does to the 99 sheep. When Jesus shows grace in the scriptures, it's whenever he gives uh, in this parable, he gives as much wages to the person who worked one hour to the person who worked 12 hours. It's whenever he takes the, the widow's might and he says, this is the same as the large sums of money all added together of everyone else. So grace, grace is this supernatural thing that God owns and that he just gives us, not because we earn it, not because we deserve it, but he says here, as a gift. 
Now, here's what's interesting about the word gift. If you were reading the original uh, Greek language in this, you would not see the word gift insofar as we see it in English there. So you say, well, was it added? No. The translators captured the heart of what grace means, and they fleshed out the, the phrase, uh, and, and the idea is that grace is freely given is how it's really uh, uh, pronounced in, in the Greek. And so the idea as it's communicated in the English translation is that a free, uh, freely grace, free grace is a gift given to us. And so when a gift is given to you, if you paid for it, it just is no longer a gift. And so in other words, the inherent idea here is that a gift is implicit in the nature of grace itself. And so his idea of justification as being given freely as a gift by God's grace accentuates this inherent quality of grace as unearned for us. The emphasis is on God's grace being given without cost and without something being earned by those who receive it. Justification by faith. Now, let me give you another theological uh, phrase here for those who are, uh, who are learning and wanting to take notes and wanting to understand our faith. Uh, there's this Latin phrase. There were these things called the five solas from the Protestant Reformation. And uh, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. Uh, there were these five different solas. And uh, the one that Paul's talking about here uh, which we are, our spiritual ancestors took from is sola fide, which means by faith alone, by faith alone. And so what Paul's giving us here is this idea of justification of faith. And so where does faith come from? Well, it comes as a gift from God in Christ Jesus. That's what he says at the end of verse 24, through the redemption, which is where? In Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. The five solas, including sola fide, were so radical, not because they were new, they were old, they're right here in Romans chapter three, but they were recapturing something that had been lost in the Roman Catholic church, the church in Rome. Why? Because in, uh, in history, what had began to happen was that people began to feel that they could earn righteousness and justification on their own apart from faith in Christ. And so what Paul's telling us here is that no, grace is a gift. And so I want you to look with me at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Because what Paul's telling us here is not merely faith. It's not faith in faith or faith just to have faith. It's faith in Christ Jesus, which is what he says there at the end of verse, verse 24. But he fleshes it out starting in verse 12. So listen to what he says here. Just let the word of God wash over you as I read it. Therefore... Justice through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. There's original sin. And so death spread to all men. All of us have spiritually big ears, in other words, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam till Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more in the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. Verse 17 is key. For if by the transgression of the one, 
death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ. In other words, the object of our faith is none other than Jesus Christ alone. And so, as we continue with the idea of, uh, of the mirror, you can see that this mirror has smudges on it. This is just from buying it at Walmart and carrying it over here. And so what happens in life is we have all of these things that, that we use to kind of reflect back our nature on us. And so we live in a world, we live in Rome, as we've been talking about in this series, and when we're not careful, when we're not in a, in a congregation like this where we're being edified by the word of God and we're not proclaiming uh, the truths about God in song and, and all the things that we do to worship the Lord. And, we, and when we start looking to things in Rome to gain our righteousness, what happens is we, we come to the word of God and, uh, and what we've done is we, we've subjected the word of God to culture in a way where the, the mirror that God has given us in his law now has these smudges on it because now we are putting culture on top of the word rather than the word of God on top of culture. And so I have all these smudges here. And, uh, and what grace does is it begins to come back and it begins to just kind of wash these smudges away. Because if you don't do this, if grace never comes upon your life, if the grace of God never comes upon our life, then what happens is all we have is culture and culture is this mirror that's so dirty and so cloudy that of course we're not going to be able to see the spiritual wrinkles and the spiritual blemishes. Because culture is going to refigure the mirror in such a way where it looks like it's not stretching us in an unrealistic, distorted way. Because we can still kind of see ourselves, but it's so dirty. It's so dirty and, and so unclean that we can no longer see ourselves for who we really are. And so what Paul's telling us is that grace comes along in such a way and shows us that yes, we're dirty, but God doesn't leave us there. Grace comes and washes uh, 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 off the lens in a way where we can look in the reflection of the law and see ourselves in a, in a really clear way. Let me illustrate this way. Um, we've all heard or, or seen probably the movie uh, Snow White. And, uh, and you have the evil queen in this movie. And she goes to a mirror, and what does she say? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? So she looks in this mirror, and the mirror re repeats back to her, you're the, you're the fairest. And so she gets her confirmation. And how's she getting her confirmation? She's getting her confirmation from the mirror who's doing what? Who's comparing her to other people. So she's getting her confirmation by comparison. Isn't that how we function sometimes? We look at the neighbor and we say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that lady. You know, and so because I'm not as bad as that person, as we compare, I'm more fair than that person. So the Lord must accept me because of that. That's what the evil queen did. And so as she continues to ask the mirror throughout the story, there comes this time where the mirror says, I have to be honest with you. I don't think that's how the mirror talked, but the mirror says, I have to be honest with you, you're no longer the fairest in the land, for Snow White is now the fairest. The queen loses it. So how does she respond? Well, that's the catalyst for the story. And so she goes and she tries to kill the person who's better than her. Why? So that she can retain her fairness. And so she had this question before her. She had this opportunity before her, what she could do, this, this response, she could respond either by taking out the people 
who have been told they're better than her, or she could look at the mirror and say, you know what, this might not be the best way to get my validation in life. Maybe this mirror is not the way for me to find out how just and fair I really am. And so the, the, the good news is that when we come to the word of God and, and we look at the law and we run through the 10 commandments and we run through all the things that the law of God has given us and we look at a reflection and we see all the things that it's telling us, the good news is this, is that yes, the mirror tells us that we are not the, the fairest of everyone in the land, but here's what the grace of God does. It doesn't leave you there. It doesn't just kind of give you that truth and then say, figure it out. Go, go take out Snow White so that you can then be the number one in the land. That's not the way that the grace of the Lord works. And in fact, what happens with, with a mirror is this, is that this mirror is very small comparatively to this room. In fact, this mirror is only capturing, I'm looking at it right now and I'm just seeing an angle. And I cannot look in that mirror and capture everything that's happening in this room. Why? Because it's a limited perspective. And that is what Paul is telling us about the law. He's telling us that if we look to the mirror to gain our affirmation, to gain our validation, our works before the Lord, and that's all we have, what we've done is we've taken something that's limited, that doesn't tell the whole story, and we've used it in a way to try to capture everything, and it was never intended to do that. So why the law at all then? Look with me at verse 31. He says, do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, he says, we establish the law. In other words, the law is still important. Our works are still important in this way. When we understand that the law is limited, but it's still part of the big story that God is telling. So there's a bigger story happening in this room that this mirror cannot capture. Likewise, there's a bigger story in history that God was telling when it came to the law. The law came for a season, it did its job, but the law was never intended to save you. Your works were never intended to save you. They never could. That Jesus comes and, and God gives us the fulfillment of the law, the establishment of the law, which is faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is why we said this morning that through faith we discover that the purpose of good works is the need for God's grace. Because James says in chapter 1, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And the perfect law is found in God's grace. The perfect law is found in God's grace. So as we look at all of this together, what happens is this. I got to get my notes straight because I messed up one of the pages. So just hold on just a second. This is the reality of, of where we live. Is this, we live in a world that loves merit. We live in a world that loves merit. And, uh, and so, young people, when you're looking at college, what do you do? You have to get all the right scores, you have to be part of all the right programs, and so you have to show yourself on a piece of paper to find yourself as valuable, right? And so, those of us who are in the, in, in, uh, the, the adult world and as we're trying to get promotions, what happens is we have to show ourselves as having merit. Social media, how do we get merit? Likes, followers, views. And this has just kind of infused the culture in this certain kind of way. But the message of the gospel is revolutionary. And here's why. Because it tells us that all of our earthly achievements, all they can do is lead us to a place of eternal failure and rejection. But it doesn't leave us there. God doesn't leave us there. He tells us there's no distinction when it comes to the law. 
It doesn't show any kind of prejudice, and the grace of God doesn't either. God wants to show you grace wherever you're at in your life today. And so what we have here before us is this. Those, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've been shown this incredible grace, this incredible grace. And if we're not careful, we're going to continue to go back to the mirror. But what does it mean for, for those of us who've, been, who've experienced this grace? Well, it means we don't have to work towards grace. We've already uh, re, uh, received it. We just work from it. And as we work from grace, we have this great gospel message, which means that those of us, uh, the community members around us, we want to, them to see and experience the same grace that we experienced. And so followers of Jesus tuning in here in this place, I want you to think about that for just a minute. The same grace that's been shown to you, God desires to show that same grace to the lost person in your life. So I want you to think about that as we uh, get ready to close the service. And I want you to think about your one and about the fact that apart from God's grace, they are only in the law, and all they have to do is show the law. And I think about that image that Jesus gives us at the end of his Sermon on the Mount where he says, some will come to me in that day, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name and that in your name? And it's pretty amazing things that they say they did. And he's going to say, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. Why? Because they wanted to be judged by their works, and he judges them by their works, and they are found wanting. But God's grace is sufficient and saved you. It's granted you eternal life and it can be given to the one that you're praying about right now. So maybe in a minute you can be praying for that one at this place. Those of you who have not yet experienced God's grace, we invite you, if you're interested in knowing more, to go to our website, tatesprings.com and just click the button that says, know Jesus. When you click it, it'll send an email. It'll set up an email right then straight to me that just says, I wanna know more about Jesus and I'll converse with you about that. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for your goodness today. And Lord, as we, um, as we contemplate your grace, Lord, a lot of us, I think, we get lost and we think about our works and we think about the things that we can give to you and, and grant to you and And what a limited perspective that is. I pray, God, that we would look at the law and understand its place in your story. And understand that works are not things that we do to gain your grace, but things that we do because we already have it. We do live in a workspace culture. We're judged by clickers and counters on digital platforms, and we find our whole worth from that. I pray, Lord, that your word would show us this morning that the reality is that if we're looking to that for our value, that we're looking at a distorted image, a cloudy mirror. So I pray that you would help us to understand that, Lord, you love us so much, you've made us in your image, and God, we have inherent dignity and value and worth because of that and that you desire that all men would be saved. So I pray for those who are on the fence about Jesus that maybe they would respond today and understand the righteousness that comes only from Christ. And those of us who have experienced grace, Lord, I pray that you would help us to share that that truth with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. At Tate Springs, we believe God is telling a story of redemption that can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you'd like more information on how you can have that kind of a relationship, please visit tatesprings.com and let us know. We love you and want to help you discover your part in God's story.